I picked up on these patterns of like always wanting to get things right that caused anxiety thinking about what would go wrong that caused anxiety and once I realized that those were patterns that I had choice in and that I no longer had to adopt those lines of thinking I started working on repatterning them do I have self-care reflected every day and when you recognize that you have the ability to shift the neural pathways in your mind and, and start to create new beliefs that's when you can create new habits as well Hello and welcome back to Real Life Pivotal Moments, the best place for you to listen, learn and grow from people's stories, their learnings in life and transformational moments towards their true self. Today's guest is Ashton Cantu. She's a certified transformational life and leadership coach and a mental health advocate. I am Generally excited for the audience to get to know you today, just Ashton, because I came across your profile on Instagram just randomly, and then we had a brief conversation on Clubhouse. And what I really admire about you is that you are one of the few people when you get exposed to different people, people can really feel your energy and your confidence. And so I was really, really inspired by that. And I know that a person having this confidence at that level must have been through so many pivotal moments in their life. And I'm super excited for the audience to get to know you. So welcome, Ashton. Hi, thank you so much. I am really pumped to be collaborating with you. I think it's like we talked about earlier, it's really reciprocal. We said, you know, to be inspired, it's going both ways. And I just, I think there's so much synergy and alignment here. And I'm, I'm happy to be here to be able to serve with you today. So there were moments from probably 15 to 25 that should have what people would say woken me up, right? You know, that people say that you kind of have to hit a rock bottom in order to like change your life or something. Well, I hit multiple rock bottoms before I ever got my lessons. So I didn't actually have the pivotal awakening that I needed until about 25, but I did have many pivotal moments that should have been catalysts and they were, it just took a long time for the lessons to catch up. So with that being said, you know, just a little storytelling. I went from being class president in high school, team captain, sportsmanship award, to landing myself in rehab by the age of 17. Wow. And what was interesting about that experience in retrospect is just understanding the lack of emotional regulation that I had, the lack of like coping skills in order to deal with the fact that I was having panic attacks and anxiety attacks consistently. And I was self-medicating, right? And I was lucky, lucky, lucky to not have an addiction, but I was severely abusing pretty much anything I was grasping at straws to numb and just reckless. So, you know, that wasn't a, a pivotal moment, but it ended up being, right? It ended up being a catalyst for the work that I do. So there's like these little things that happen along the way that I didn't know why they were happening when they happened. And they weren't necessarily causing transformation in the moment. But there were things that down the road I was able to leverage, if that makes sense. That makes totally sense. So from there, I was able to pretty much say bye to drugs, go to college. I'm on great track. You know, I'm, I'm going to school to be an educator. I'm modeling, waiting tables on the weekends. I'm coaching basketball. I'm going to grad school, 3.9 GPA in grad school. But the thing is, what I didn't realize is that so much of those choices I was making in my teens, and then I even got in trouble a couple of times for drinking in my early 20s. So much of that had to do with this level of not feeling good enough. You know, it was a lot of self-sabotage, subconscious. I had no idea. I was confident on the outside, 
you would not know that I was a struggling human. I was a high performer, right? So there was a lot going on underneath that I didn't even have an awareness of. I just was having all these symptoms, anxiety, getting in trouble, causing self-sabotage over and over again, and not knowing why. But I had gotten to a point in my mid-20s or like early 20s where I kind of just started to see the pendulum swing upwards, right? But when I was 24, when I had all those amazing things going on, I got slipped a date rape drug. And I got ended, I ended up in, in jail and thinking that I like got a PI for like slipping or something. And turns out I was a hot mess that I was just like had muscular rigidity completely. Like my eyes were rolling in my head. I mean, just the police report was, was absolutely terrifying, less terrifying than being raped would have been. So I'm, I'm so grateful actually now that that was the experience that I ended up having, but it just wrecked my self-esteem because I worked so hard to get my family to believe in me. I worked so hard to get that validation and that approval from my family, from my friends to think I'm not an F up, you know, I'm, I'm a good woman. Like I can, I'm smart. I care about people. I want to teach kids. So when that happened, I, I allowed that failure to really define me again, which is how I was doing it previously. When I was a teen, I was letting all these little failures and letting the outside world speak into who I was, who I was because of the choices I was making. And I wasn't separating those things. That's a big mistake because that will take you down. So catalyst moment, what that did was it, it lit the fire under me to run away. <laughs> so I ran away. I ran away from everything. I, I linked up with a guy that had borderline personality disorder. Didn't know this at the time. I moved to Texas, decided I was going to start my whole life over. The thing is, Wherever you are, you're there. <laughs> so you can't outrun yourself. You can't outrun yourself. I ran into more problems as soon as I got there. You know, it ended up being a very volatile, toxic relationship, one that was unsafe for me and uh, had to leave, but I had pride and I wouldn't go home. So I literally had to start over from scratch with the master's degree, waiting tables, substituting on uh, waiting tables on the weekend, substituting, couldn't even afford to get my nails done. I mean, I wasn't in poverty, but for compared to the life I was living, it was a tight budget. Let me just say that. And I was not living in the best neighborhood and I was alone. I was in a state all by myself. So that was a catalyst moment in the sense that A, I showed up for myself. One, when I left that relationship, that was big because I chose myself. Even though I didn't have any answers, I still cared enough about me and my well-being that I was like, I deserve better. So that was big. That was kind of a message that I sent it to myself that I leveraged over and over again. Like, am I choosing myself? And the second piece of that was I saw massive divine intervention because of my surrender. I didn't have any control. So what that pointed me to was my higher power again. And I had always believed I had strong faith, but I was obviously extremely disconnected from that faith. And when you're in a moment where you don't know which way is up, down, left, or right, surrender is a power move. And that's where I was. And I just saw the universe, God, whoever you identify with, right? That decision to, to just walk away and to start anew on my own, not with the guy. Um, that was a catalyst moment. Love that. Wow. That's, I, I have no words to describe the story. This, this is incredible. And the pattern I'm seeing 
in so many people, especially high performers that I talk to is, and this resonates with my story as well, is it takes so many moments, so many pivotal moments, so many rock bottoms. And even if people shake us, even if we fall on our nose and the stone hits our head, we still get up and we still end up being the majority of our old self. So it's really hard for us to learn from old mistakes or from pivotal moments. And I feel the same way. I was very unfulfilled in my first job. I thought I need to go bigger. So I went to a bigger job. I was unfulfilled. So I thought I need to go even bigger. I went to Silicon Valley, got the, the craziest job ever, was still unfulfilled, right? So I, it's like there are multiple lessons in your life, but you still end up not still choosing your old life until, and this is what I love, what you just said is, until you were so exhausted or whatever happened in your life that you felt like, I need to let go, I need to surrender. And that's where transformation happens. My question to you is, you've been working with so many high performers. Why do you think people just don't have one pivotal moment and they learn immediately? Like, why do they have to hit so many different rock bottoms and have so many different pivotal moments until they're actually awakened? I have a few theories. So and I'm speaking obviously from working with people. So this isn't just based on my own experience, but this is working with hundreds of people, you know, and learning from feedback that I'm hearing. I believe that underlying all self-sabotage is the feeling of unworthiness and um, a capacity that we hit. My previous relationship, when I was engaged to be married prior to this relationship, I definitely hit that. I sabotaged the heck out of that. And he ended up cheating on me. It was like so much love. I couldn't even receive it, right? I was at my limit of what I was willing to receive and able to even hold as far as the good that was in my life because I had never experienced that much joy. I was living in purpose, on purpose, doing what I love. I had attracted a man who truly loved me. And I was like, whoa, not on the conscious level, but on a subconscious level, like this is too much. This feels too good. Let me drop it down to what's mm -hmm. coming for people who have been suffering in the way that I did. Cause you know, for that 10 years of trial and error and I'm still in it guys, still in practice. Okay. But I was dealing with panic anxiety disorder labeled that I don't struggle with, a, I believe a, a disorder at this point, I still manage anxiety from time to time. But if you're expecting someone to be in full mastery, we're never fully arrived. So just know to the wise, take people off the pedestal, let them be human. Let them evolve at their own rate and, their, and uh, you know, find their journey one step at a time. I, I think that's really important for anybody who's looking to a mentor. That's very theory-based. You know, more practical is, is patterns of subconscious beliefs and habits. Seriously, you, if you don't change your people, places, and things, you're probably going to end up doing the same things over and over again. So sometimes we continue to do the same system. We continue to do the same environment or the same habit and expect a different result. That's crazy. We know it's crazy, but we're creatures of habit. So I think one of the reasons is simply that. And I think the deep underlying reason that is the, the driving force behind that is the extremely deeply rooted subconscious beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I think that we often want to change the habit and we focus on a goal rather than making things a standard for our life for high performers. So we're like, oh, I want to achieve this. Well, you're focused on the goal. You're focused on the outcome. And what I notice with the high performers is they're not as focused on who they need to be in order to reach that or in order to sustain that, right? They're more focused on how do I get there? What's my process? How do I get the gold? What do I need to do to get there? Not who do I need to be and 
and live into and embody in order to sustain that. And that's what I learned from, from that previous relationship is like, what was the embodiment piece for me, right? Like who did I need to be in order to hold that? I love that. I love that so much because what I resonate with and what I see in high performers in so many ways is that we are go-getters, we are grinding, we are hustling, only looking for the next high, for the next high and the next high, next high, what you described as looking for the reward. When I was in Silicon Valley and I had the pleasure to talk to C-level executives, they dealt with tremendous anxiety. They just did, were just super good or exactly what you said. They just had the habit to cover it and just don't show their weakness. And they just got gotten morphed into this role they have been playing their entire life that they suppress their anxiety and their uncertainty and just trying to grind for the next high so they can push those feelings and those anxiety away. I love what you just said so vulnerably that you always, you also dealt with anxiety attacks. You also dealt with tremendous uncertainty, not knowing left, right. And how did you, how does the whole pivotal moments and the crazy story you just shared help you to relieve that anxiety? Do you still suffer from anxiety nowadays? Is it getting better? And what has helped you to gain like certainty and get rid of the anxiety you have been feeling underneath your skin? Well, I definitely don't suffer anymore. At, from time to time, I catch my mind wanting to go there. Mm. And then what I, what I do is I get introspective and I say, okay, where am I out of alignment? Or what do I need? Right? So what I've realized is that we induce anxiety. We create it, I believe. At least that was my experience. What I do know is that our thoughts are very powerful. And I do know that you can exacerbate the heck out of your anxiety by the way you think and by your habits and what you're doing in your life. So Mine was really, really highly induced by my thoughts, which I believe most people's are. I'm still doing the inner work. And the key for me was recognizing the patterns that I had in my mind that were creating the anxiety, living in the past, living, you know, that's more of a depression kind of state, but living in the future, consistently having like, what if scenarios? And I started to build a deeper awareness of where this even came from. It wasn't even my mind. It was my mother's mind, bless her heart. She's been dealing with anxiety and she's even gotten better. But, you know, she was always kind of this catastrophizer. You know, I would call her and I would immediately tell her, like, if I had a flat tire and, she, you know, what if you, what if you get raped? Like, I'm just making up the scenario, mm -hmm. but like, you know, what if somebody takes you? So like, I always kind of had this like voice in my head that would do that too. And I realized that was maybe a conditioned pattern. My father was also a worrier. You know, he worried about things like money. He worried about things like perfection. So I picked up on these patterns of like always wanting to get things right. That caused anxiety. Thinking about what would go wrong, that caused anxiety. And once I realized that those were patterns that I had choice in and that I no longer had to adopt those lines of thinking, I started working on repatterning them. You know, do I have self-care reflected every day? I have high energy. I could de definitely have been told I have ADHD. I've told, been told I have anxiety panic disorder. I was told I'd never go to college, that it, my parents should have geared me towards a vocational school when I was in first grade. I was a hot mess. I'm not going to lie. But none of that's real as far as permanent, right? It's not lasting. And when you recognize that you have the ability to shift the neural pathways in your mind and, and start to create new beliefs, that's when you can create new habits as well. I see it in myself that there are days where I'm super focused, super disciplined, and there are days where I'm super lazy and I don't want to do anything. I just let my mind do whatever it, it, it wants. And I eat probably, probably a, a lot more carbs than I should be eating and sleep less than I should be sleeping. And, you know, it just fucks my mind in a certain way. 
And then I started overthinking and started getting anxious. I started doing, comparing myself with other people, thinking I'm unworthy and all the stuff that you have um, just said. And so what, what practices do you have or how long does it take you to change that behavioral pattern or thought process for you to feel less anxious? It's a great question. So there are, there are a few things because I, I believe that we can't do this alone. I didn't have the awareness. I mentioned that to you. If I had hired a coach or mentor when I was 20, my gosh, where would I be right now? But I didn't, right? So I didn't have anybody to mirror me. And what was happening is when I was hitting these pivotal moments or these catalyst moments that were rock bottoms, instead of having someone mirror up to me and say, hey, this is your potential, you know, what, what could actually be going on underneath here? Are you avoiding pain? What are you struggling with? Nobody was asking me those questions. And I wasn't asking myself those questions. Instead, I was getting a lot of criticism and judgment. So then I was just pushing me further down the rabbit hole. What we need is an objective perspective that can mirror back to us when we're speaking, you know, what those beliefs are. Hey, I love that you have been enjoying this episode so far. Are you looking for a coach or an accountability partner who can help you turn your low moments into your real life pivotal moments? Then please, please, please reach out to me at LukeWShu at gmail.com. It's LukeWShu at gmail.com. I'd really love to get to know you. Now let's get back to the episode. That's how I started building an awareness by somebody saying, hey, did you catch that? You just said, hmm. I, I can't really think of an idea right now. Or if I did know, what would I say? Um, <laughs> that's a better way of framing that. But that's a, that's perfect, right? That awareness of like, I just said, I can't know. No, if I did know, what would it be? So it's just like over time you start to to catch, you just start to catch. And it's just a, it's a choice to be cognizant. But before you get there, you kind of need something to show you that it's there. So by having people ask you the right questions, I think is, is really probably one of the best ways, whether it's a, a friend who's like legitimately real with you and has wisdom and can be objective and ask you questions. Hey, why do you think you're doing? Right. Cause then that gets you to think. And when you start to think, that's where you start to draw out those limiting beliefs. And then once you've shed light on them, you have the power to shift them. So coaching and mentoring or having an objective perspective is absolutely crucial. The second thing I think is really effective is journaling. I used to be completely ruled by emotion. And as a woman, I still have my moments. And at the same time, I'm not going to use that as an excuse to lack emotional regulation. I really want to get curious and say, okay, well, what's underneath that? Like, why am I holding on to that emotion or why am I letting that emotion have me instead of the other way around? So I, I, I kind of journal that out and it helps me to see once again, the beliefs that I'm holding around a situation or an action someone else have done. I'm in partnership. That is the greatest catalyst for growth you will ever ever be in. It's just helping me to be more cognizant of my own belief systems, my own patterns, and how I'm even triggering myself, right? Because we think that other people are triggering us, but it's really the belief that we hold around maybe that person's action that is triggering the wound within us. And it's not to say there isn't a wound there. You still can hold compassion and space for that. But it's also like, well, what did I think? What did I make that mean? Is such a great question. Right now, I'm journaling every day because I'm in a 10-day spiritual warrior challenge. It's awesome. 10 minutes of meditation and prayer, scripture, 10 minutes, breathwork, 10 minutes, cardio, 10 minutes. And I'm doing 
no alcohol, no caffeine, no social media. And then I'm also doing shadow work journaling, self-love journaling and reflection journaling um, and grounding. So but I think it's important that we're consistently pouring love and appreciation into ourselves, especially when you have a high inner critic, right? Mm-hmm. You need to quiet that noise and get back to the truth of who you are. And you can do that without journaling. You can just connect. But I think that's going to be an important practice for me to carry forward. Shadow, I think shadow work at least needs to happen like once a month. You know, just take a, take a glance, check your heart. You know, are you holding any envy? Are you holding any jealousy? Are you holding any resentment? Like just, I, I need to keep that, that channel clear because a lot of the work that I do is highly intuitive. So I want a clear channel. So I think, uh, you know, doing that shadow work monthly is really important. And then most importantly, like you said, when the emotions are coming up, really just trying to understand myself better so that I can have more self-mastery in moments and and be more conscious in, in conflict and still keep my dignity and keep my grounded center when the storms are, of life are happening. So mm-hmm. it helps me to reflect in that way and say, okay, what did I do well? What's working? You know, what isn't working and what might I try that I haven't tried yet? Give me an example, a personal example. You mentioned self-love journaling and you mentioned journaling to regulate your emotion or understand your emotion. Like, let's assume you would sit down, you, you know, take out your little journal. Like, how would you go after self-love journaling and how would you go after emotional regulation in journaling? There are two ways I do the self-love. One is I just use prompts. I just go online and I find some fun prompts and I just play with it. So I don't make it serious. And then the other one, it's more difficult because it's looking at the parts of myself that I'm in resistance to, which is also technically shadow work, but maybe it's, you know, where my body's at. Maybe I'm in comparison with my body compared to where I used to be. I'm getting older, you know? So I've had moments that I've caught myself doing that. Well, what am I doing? So I go and pour some love into that area. Or, you know, maybe I'm playing, it often stems from comparison when I'm not feeling self-love. I, I, that's pretty much the pattern is like, mm. if I'm not feeling like I'm loving myself, if I'm being critical of myself, it's probably because I'm comparing. So I, I do a little bit of awareness work around like, who am I comparing to? What am I comparing to? And then I pour love into the area that I'm feeling res- resistance to. Yeah. So but, if I'm feeling, lethargic, let's say I'm feeling lethargic or tired and I'm calling myself lazy. Well, if I am being lazy, I need to be honest with that. But if I'm not, and I'm actually just really not feeling well, I get to hold compassion and grace for that. And I get to write that out. And so many 20 sums are searching, searching, searching out there. When, if they would go inward first, they could discover their passion quicker. They could discover their purpose quicker. They would stop looking for all the validation, all the approval. They would maybe stop, you know, just settling in relationships and wasting energy and time in those relationships, even though, you know, I believe God works everything out for the greater good. So you're going to still gain something. You, you're not going to go through a life experience without gaining something unless you just don't want to gain the lesson, right? Unless you're blocked from that. But I, I do think that it's so worthwhile to start early. Yeah, I love that. And it seems like you really have gone through so much and you've been go- gone through so much growth yourself that eventually you became who you are today and really giving back your wisdom and, you know, all the, all the tools you have learned along your journey. How did you find out or how did you become a coach? How did this passion arise and how did you find this purpose for yourself to really helping other transform in what you do every day? Walk me through pivotal moments in your life or your story on what led you to become a transformational coach today. I was working the two jobs uh, seven days a week for several months and I was substituting and waiting tables with my masters. Like 
kind of not doing so well. And someone invited me to church at the restaurant I was working at, lunch church. I was new to Texas, so I didn't know anyone at all. So I found a community. That was the first thing. Okay. Whether it's church community, an online community, a friend community, it doesn't matter. You need community. So I found a community and they were building care baskets for battered women and women who were in drug rehabilitation, two places I had been in my life. And I was like, I went in on this. This sounds cool. I'll build care baskets. So we started putting baskets together and then they needed someone to take the baskets. So I volunteered. And when I got, I thought I was going to like a shelter and it ended up being a non-for-profit organization. It was called I Can Still Shine. And when I showed up at this house, it was this large property, beautiful, like kind of a retreat center, almost older though. It wasn't like super nice, but it was, it was a beautifully intended space. And I got there and this little lady pops out of her house and she comes with open arms, big open arms. She's probably like five foot two, maybe smiling ear to ear. And she's like, where have you been? <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, okay, this lady's different. Um, she's like, I'm praying for you. You're here. And I just looked at her like, she's crazy. And I just kept smiling and I'm like, I have your care. She's like, I know. She's like, I've been praying for you. You were born to be a blessing. And I'm sitting there like, okay, thank you. <laughs> Bless you. Like here are your care baskets. She's like, no, no, I'm being serious. And then she like brings her whole demeanor and her tone like to a very serious nature. And she grabs me and she's like, I'm very serious. I've been praying for you. What are you doing this Saturday? And, and you, you, you didn't know her before, right? It was yeah. just a rent. Never met okay. this woman in my life. Okay. Um, wow. At this time, I literally know no one. I'm hanging out with a beautiful elderly couple named Chris and Marty. They are like 79 and 80 something years old. They are my only friends in Texas at this time. And she asked me what I'm doing Saturday. So I'm like, nothing. I've got nothing going on. She's like, come to my event every second Saturday of the month. I host a women's event. We have over 300 women and children that we feed and we host, we, we have guest speakers that come and we help them. We do everything from runway shows to build confidence, to helping them with their resumes, everything. We minister to them and I would love for you to come. So I go to the event on Saturday and when I get there, we've got 300 plus women, children, you know, it's a huge venue. And she calls me up on stage and she introduces me as her new board of directors member. <laughs> She just took it, took it upon herself to just hand me the mic and introduce me. And I, you know, you're put on the spot in front of that many people. So I was like, Hey, every, you know, just, I, it. I received it. I had nothing else going and it changed everything for me because it allowed me to a take myself out of victim because I was down and out and feeling sorry for myself after all those fun things I put myself through and see people who needed my support more than I needed support. People that were worse off than me it gave me perspective and mm. it made me step into, or it gave me an opportunity to step into leadership again, because that's where I was. I, I, I'm, I was born this way. I, I'm innately wired to lead and I stepped right in. So I started mentoring these battered women, mentoring these women in drug rehabilitation. I was speaking to them. I started writing spoken word. That was different. I haven't done that since. I don't know where it came from, but I got a chance to really pour into these women and I worked with them for three years. And while I was in the middle of those three years, I had an epiphany. It dawned on me, this is what I want to do. I want to help people like this. Like, this is awesome. Funny fact, I wanted to be a coach since I was 19. I actually started mentoring teens when I was 19. 
My father was huge into personal development. He ended up being a mentor and speaker uh, down the line in his work before he got before he got sick. So he taught me the power of visualization. He taught me goal setting. I had all of these tools kind of in my repertoire that I didn't even know were going to be like foundations for the work. But in that moment, I was like, hey, like this is what I want to do, but I didn't feel qualified before. But I've been on a good track and I'm really helping people. I'm, I'm having people tell me I'm changing their lives. I want to do this. But I didn't want to go into ministry that I, I am a, a Christian. I am a faith-based entrepreneur, you know, but I didn't want to have that cap my reach. I wanted to be able to reach everyone. And I'm also very spiritual. Like I'm not highly religious in the Christian realm. I cashed out $12,000 in mutual funds because I didn't have any money to, to go. And I put money down and I bet on myself and I did the work, the inner work, and then I got certified and that's how it started. Wow. This is beautiful, Ashton. I think your story is a proof, again, for people looking for their passion, not just like, hey, I'm going to sit down and think about it. Boom. I just found it right on an instant. It's just a journey of experiences and people you meet in your life that guide you towards a certain direction until it just resonates with you and then you just go down the path right how what do you think about this this quote that people normally say is like hey the, your passion or your purpose finds you and you just need to wait patiently for it would you say it makes sense just to wait for it and be open for it or do you say for those people who are looking for their passion and purpose it makes sense to actively look and seek for it how is how is your perception on that one I would actually go more with the Rumi quote, what you're seeking is seeking you. Mm -hmm. so it's a yes and. It's there knocking. You can go looking or you can wait. I mean, that's what you're here for. So I think as long as you're open and willing, it can find you. But I also am a firm believer in action. And I think the reason people don't find their passion or their purpose is not because they don't know. It's because they're unwilling to listen. You know, our still small voice, our intuition is only as loud as our willingness to listen. And maybe it's not because they're unwilling, but it's because they haven't created the space to hear it. Mm -hmm. So many other people's voices and all the noise of the world and all the demands of what their parents said they should do or what, you know, their friends think they should do or what their spouse thinks they should do, that they're listening to everything but themselves. And I think that's why we don't find our passion and purpose. But it's, I think it's very clear when your purpose is looking at your life and saying, where am I longing for more? Okay, I'm longing to contribute. I'm longing to give service. I'm longing to be more creative. And where am I discontented? I'm struggling with the, the structure of my, my day. I'm struggling with the lack of freedom or lack of adventure. And if we don't feel like we're making the impact we should be making, the shame comes in. Or we start mm -hmm. telling ourselves we're not good enough again. So then it's like having a purpose sucks all of a sudden. It's like, what? This is backwards. So I've adopted the belief that I am purpose. That simply for the sake of the... The fact that I woke up this morning and that I'm breathing, I am purpose. And by, by being purpose, what that means is that I get to be a vessel for truth, for love, and for light. That doesn't mean I need to do anything. I just need to be. And if I'm that vessel and that purpose downloads through me and all I do today is journal, right, and, and help myself, that was purpose working in me. And if I'm a vessel for light and truth and love and all I do today is have this conversation, that is purpose working in me and that's enough. I love that. And what I what I love about this is it all comes down to perspective at the end of the day, right? And I think perspective is such a key word. Um, the same way how you find found yourself through spirituality or found what you're doing is just like, hey, you've been 
going through all the mess your entire life until you gain perspective by seeing other people who had it worse than you. And when I talk to people in their pivotal moments, it always is the shift in perspective in a certain way. And it, it normally an event that caused it, right? Whether it's you went to the slums of Africa, to the poorest neighborhood, and you realize how good your life is. Whether your friend just died in a car accident, you gain perspective how precious life is. Or you just almost escape death in a certain way or something like that, right? It's just all the shift in perspective that allows you to appreciate your life more or see a purpose a purpose in the little things that people don't find purposeful as well, right? So I just love how you narrowed down into the idea of purpose and your story is proof that perspective really helped you to get grounded and put you in a level of service, which I really love about your story. And I'll just share this because I, I know that a lot of people have struggles in this area with family. One of the best things that has come from this work is the reconciliation and the healing in my family you know, I had demolished my relationships with my parents because I was just, I think I almost put them in the grave with my teen years, you know, like, <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> it was so rough and I was just rebellious and disrespectful. I was all the things and I don't judge myself for it. I know I was hurting. I know I didn't know it. I was doing the best that I could with what I had, but I also realized that my parents had work to do. And because I had conscious awareness and I, I learned how to not forcefully support them, but invitationally support them to teach them boundaries with me, you know, to teach them how to be less critical and judgment, judgmental of themselves and me. And then I got to show up for them in that same way. Like this work has been so tremendous in that way. And there are a lot of people who are hurting from family hurt and the, the work starts with you. Peace starts with you. hundred percent. A lot of parents have still the authority kind of mindset where they feel like, Hey, you know, who are you to tell me how I should live my life in a certain way, right? I, I'm supposed to be the authority and tell you what to do. And you also said that there were so many patterns in your life that came from your parents, right, in a certain way that led you to be that person who was dealing with anxiety attacks and all this stuff. So I made, I had the similar experience that healing not just starts with letting go and accepting and surrender, but also we get so much information about ourselves when we look at the lives of our parents. And what I realized through this conversation is that a lot of people, when they realize that a lot of their faults or a lot of the struggles and failure in their life is because of their parents, because of how the patterns were, because how they were raised, maybe they didn't give them the opportunities, the environment. So bitterness and resentment starts to build, right? And then you start to be this rebellious person towards your parents and you just really destroy your entire family uh, relationship in a certain way. And how did, how was it in your, at your end where you went from this bitterness, resentment, whatever it was, this destroyed family relationship to a healthier one? Like how does that transition happen? My parents had patterns and I'm 100% responsible for my life. So when I stopped blaming them and I started accepting that, they were doing the best they could with what they had from where they were at, that every act is either an act of love or a cry for it. When I started reframing those perspectives and seeing them through the lens of love, I got out of blame, out of victim, into radical responsibility. I was able to show up to them with humility. I was able to show up to them from a place of responsibility. And don't get me wrong. My parents haven't fully shifted. They're not as young. They're more ingrained in their patterns. 
they've been able to listen in some ways and other ways they're firm in their beliefs and they're not budging. So I think we have to reciprocate that to our parents and just accept them and love them for who they are. Realize everybody's on their individual journey, but a, a big piece of shifting from the blame, because you're not going to change anything if you continue to blame your parents. You know, I'm, like, I'm this way because my parents did this. Well, you get to be the one that breaks that generational pattern, right? And you can only do that for taking responsibility and say, I'm always in choice. I, I love the idea of ownership. And that's something that keeps me grounded. When I think about my parents, it's exactly what you said. It's first of all, love them for who they are. And the second one is being proud that that the next generation doesn't have to suffer or doesn't have to experience the same things because it's going to stop with me and the next generation and just sh turning it into a gratitude, right? That, that it allowed us to grow in a certain sense, the same way it allowed you to grow and go through the pain, which eventually help you to resonate with so many people who are in pain and being able to teach them in the way how you do it so beautifully. There are so many insights in this episode. I'm, I'm super excited. And, you know, I would love to wrap this episode up with asking you, what are two or three things that the listener can take away from, you know, your wisdom, your pivotal moments from the podcast episode we've been doing so far? It's raise your standards. Raise your standards. You will always get in life what you tolerate from yourself and from other people. If you don't like what you're getting, raise your standards. And when I say raise your standards, it can't be like, oh, I should do this or I need to, or I don't want that. It's like, this is a must, right? This must happen. And that can be in any area of your life. Figure out where you're not satisfied, where you know that there's more of you that you could be, that you could do, that you could create. Pick one or two domains and say, okay, if I'm like at a level seven or six or for whatever it is, and fulfillment in this area, what would I need, who would I need to be, or what would I need to do in order to be a nine? That's my new standard, right? So if I'm, for very specific example, if I'm feeling about a five, in, as far as my physical fitness and my health, and I want to feel a nine, I got to raise the standard. So what I, well, who would I need to be a, to be a nine? I would need to be someone who worked out at least three to five days a week, who ate for nutrition and who got enough sleep. Pretty simple things. Those are habits that I can put in place, right? To live into that standard. The second thing I think is super important that I'm noticing people struggle with a lot, but there's a part of that that keeps people stuck in victim. And I do believe that boundaries are super crucial with other people. But if you can't set boundaries for yourself, why are you telling other people what your boundaries are? Why are you telling other people what they can and cannot do around you when you are not modeling and demonstrating and embodying what it means to have boundaries for yourself? So I think, uh, you know, if you're going to go the boundary route, you need to start with you. You need to look at where you can set parameters in place so that you can be your highest self because you will teach people how to treat you by how you treat yourself. Wow. I love this. I love this. Three. I always end on this one because I'm just a firm believer. I, I believe that we need to connect to a higher power of some kind. Uh, I could not, would not have gotten through the multitude of roadblocks and, you know, grief that I'm experiencing. Even now, my father's dying, like without something greater than me to surrender it to, to ask for guidance, to ask for strength. Because I know that what you can do is greater than what I can do alone. So I just, I believe 
connecting to something greater than yourself is really important. Wow, these three points are so powerful. And I, I wanted to thank you for sharing this. And I wanted to add one or two things to what you've just shared. I think the first one around, you know, getting, a, I call it 360 degree view of where you are in your life into different areas of buckets. I do this once per year. And from our conversation, I think it's very crucial. One mistakes I've been doing is my financial side and my uh, work side has been always rated low. And the reason was because I set my goal for, I said I needed to be, in order for me to become a seven or a nine, this needs to happen. It was always based on a reward that was out of my control, right? And so I either hit the reward and I felt great or I was not able. So exactly what you said, the problem with high achievers is asking yourself, if I want to get from a four to a seven or an eight, what can I do today? Who can I be in order to get there rather than like, hey, what results do I need? So I like that part. To your third point, what I really love is, you know, believing in your higher self. Have you read the book, um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon yes. Hill? And yeah, I, I mean, it's it's been two years since I, I read this book, but when I do my visualization and when I feel like in times of uncertainty or if I feel like I need to connect with my higher self, I do do a visualization practice where, you know, I think of this room that I really have visualized, deeply visualized in my mind, where I have my mentors that I look up to for certain qualities in their life, like Steve Jobs, Mahatma Gandhi, like people like I really love their story. I would have them sit there and ask them questions, right? Like, hey, and and just having this visualization. And at the end of the day, it's a conversation you have with yourself, but embodied in people you admire. And I found that if it sounds cheesy, but if you do this visualization practice with the, the people that you deeply admire or see as a mentor, they will reflect the answers that are basically in yourself, but are being told from the people you visualize, right? And I found this a, a very powerful visualization that has been worked has worked out for me. And that's what I mean by connecting to something greater than yourself, right? Because it's kind of like in your mind, as you said. But once again, you know, even if I'm I'm saying I'm I'm praying upwards to something greater, you know, where are the answers coming from? They're dropping through my brain, right? So, you know, it's my own intuition. It's my own internal knowing. I call it my inner wise woman, right? So like your inner wise man, your highest self. So I'm pumped about that. Yeah. And where can people find you online and how, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, I'm mostly on Instagram as far as my social platforms. I also have a website, ashtoncantu.com. My Instagram handle is ashtoncantu. And you can find me there. You can book your, your discovery call there. I do an hour discovery call where we can get really clear on if we're a good fit to work together. Uh, I do have packages. I really like to coach in a very customized way. I do have programs, but I tailor everything. So I would, I would love to connect with anyone who this resonates with. And that's where you can find me. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much, Ashton, for your wisdom, for your energy and for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Hey, thank you so much for listening. It would mean the world to me if you take just one minute to leave a review and comment if you haven't done so. It helps the podcast grow and improve. I always love to connect personally with my audience to learn more about your story. So please feel free to shoot me an email at lukewshu at gmail.com. It's lukewshu at gmail.com. I appreciate your time and investment and can't wait for you to join us in the next upcoming episode.